excited about this series. We always start the new year with a series on our vision and values, and we talk through kind of this is who we are, and this is who we strive to be, and this is the kingdom culture that we want to create, and this is what we're inviting everybody into. Uh, and this is my last series as your lead pastor. And so uh, as I step into it this year, it, it's actually more meaningful to me to think of this is the culture that we've created and these are the things that we value and this is what's important and this is why I love our church and this is who we're striving to become. And, and so as we dive into this series, uh, I, I want to give just some thoughts on vision and value, uh, our, our vision and values and, and why we keep coming back to this over and over again. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you, uh, Savannah just mentioned it, but if you are new and want to double click on anything that we're talking about over the next five weeks, you can do that by jumping into Encounter Grace, by being a part of that. It's a great way for you to connect deeper to who we are and to get some time to kind of spend some time with our vision and values and with our leaders and kind of learn who we are and, and what we're doing. Uh, some, some, some quick thoughts on, on our vision and values and, and why these are significant. The first is that we want to have lived values and not aspirational values. Uh, there are a lot of places that have aspirational values, which are kind of, this is who we would like to be, but that's not who we are. Does that make sense? So they'll, they'll put them on the wall. They'll frame pictures that talk about their values and what they want to be. They'll, they'll, they'll have all this data about those kinds of things. But, but it's not actually a lived value. It, it, it's not who you really are. It's just kind of who you want to be. And so when we talk about our core values and our vision, we're not talking about something we want to be. We're talking about something that we are. Right? Does that make sense? This is who we are. So James Clear, the author of the book Atomic Habits, which is one of my favorite books, says this. He says, you don't rise to the, to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. I'm going to say it again because it's important. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You actually fall to the level of your systems or your habits. Does that make sense? So, so put it this way. Everybody has goals. Right? Every team in the NFL had a goal this year to win the Super Bowl. Now, the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons, who were pretty rough this year, had the same goals as the 49ers and as the Chiefs, the teams that actually have a chance, right? They, they all had the same goal, which was win it all. And, and the issue is, it's not, that, it's not the setting the goals that gets us somewhere, it's the habits that we create in the middle of it. So if you're a coach, your goal might be to win a championship, but your systems and your habits, the ways that you recruit players, the way that you manage your assistant coaches, the way that you conduct practices, the way that you speak to your team, the culture that you create, that's what actually gets you to the championship. Does that make sense? If you're an entrepreneur and you set a goal and your goal might be to build a million dollar business, it's great that you've set that goal, but it's your habits and your systems that actually get you there. It's how you test product ideas. It's how you hire employees. It's how you run marketing campaigns. It's how you spend your nine to five every single week. If you're a musician, your goal might be to write a brilliant piece that's a top 
10 hit. You, it might be, I'm going to be Taylor Swift. I'm going to do the, the million dollar concert and I'm going to be on every NFL game 45 times. It, it might be that, but, but it, it's not the goal that you set. It's, it's, it's how you practice. It's how you break down the music. It's how you learn new measures. It's how you hone your skills. It's how you receive feedback from others. These are the things that create who you are. It's our habits and our systems that become who we are. And I've said this from the very beginning of of my time as a pastor. I think Christians are people with wonderful intentions and really bad habits. They're people with great intentions and bad practices. I have never interacted with a single Christian ever who has said to me, I don't want to be a good neighbor. I'm out on the be a good neighbor piece. I've never met somebody that wants to opt out on that. Are you with me? Right? My neighbor across the street is testing me a little bit on that. He may not even be trying. But I don't know if he goes to church either. So we'll just give him a pass. But I, there, there are, there are we, we all want to be good neighbors. The, the issue is we don't have practices and habits that help us become good neighbors. So for me, like, I, I know that it's, it's New Year's and we set goals and resolutions or we get a word for the year, all of those kinds of things. I, I think those are valuable. I think those are important. But I'd much rather see the habits that you're creating than the goals that you're setting. What are the habits that you're creating every day? What are the things that you're leaning into every day that makes your goals not aspirational but lived? And so for us as a community, I think the most, the, the most important theological document that any of you possess every single day is your calendar and your checkbook. If you want to tell me what you really believe, show me your calendar. Show me if you're actually spending time with people. Show me if you're actually caring for those in need. Show me your checkbook. Show me what you're doing with your, with your money. Show me what you're doing with your time, talents, and treasures, and I will tell you what you really believe and what your goals actually are. Those are the metrics. It's, it's what we do with those kinds of things. And so I don't want us to be people with great intentions and bad practices. I want us to be people who are creating habits so that we can love and serve and become the church that God has called us to. Uh, The second is that uh, our our vision and values is a mix of push and pull. And so sometimes when we get into things like this and we start talking about habits and all of those kinds of things, our our first instinct is, oh, I've got to try harder. Right? I've got to work harder. I've got to... And and what's interesting about our faith is there is this interesting mix that God leads us through where we are both trying harder, we're putting effort but we're also receiving his grace, right? So there is, an, there is an effort, but there's not an earning, right? And so as we follow Jesus, I, I am, I'm actually called to live by faith and works. So I actually do have to put these things into practice. I actually have to do things to, to live out my faith, but I also know that my goal is not to create a habit, Right? Our, our, our goal for talking about our vision and values is not for you to read your Bible more, although that might be exactly what you need to do. Our goal is that you follow God into what he's inviting you into. 
And so the goal is that you step into the places that he's calling you, that you know him more deeply, that you understand who he is and what he wants for your life. We call that listening and obeying. That's the, that's the core practices of every follower of Jesus, is you're able to hear his voice and discern what he's saying to you, and when he speaks, you obey. This is it. It's this push and pull. So effort and obedience go hand in hand. Right? I, I, I want to have effort. I want to obey. I want to do what matters, but I also want to discern what God is saying, and I want to understand where he's leading. And so there's this mixed Mixed portion of, of, of deeds and, and, and prayer and, and works and faith and understanding where God is leading and listening to him and obeying. It's not just arbitrarily creating habits. Does that make sense? I think arbitrary habits don't get us anywhere. It's intentional habits that get us somewhere. Number three is this, this has to reach beyond the staff and the leadership. Uh, we have a principle around here that we... Uh, talk about all the time, and it's the principle that leaders go first. I really believe that that's true. I believe that leaders should model the way. I believe that leaders create culture. I believe that leaders should be the model of what the culture should look like. Uh, But at the same time, if leaders are leading everything, and it's not being passed down into the congregation, and these vision and values are just something that drives the staff, we're going to be terribly effective. Right? Terribly ineffective. We're going to be bad. Right? It's going to be rough. So these things have to pass down. They have to pass through. And everybody has to buy in in order for this to work. Our, our, our methods might shift. And our methods might change. Um, but the culture stays the same. So I, I, I'm going to be leaving in a few months. And when I do, the culture is going to stay the same. The culture is going to continue to work out because this is not about a culture that was led by a person. It's about a culture that was lived by a community. Does that make sense? It's about a culture that we have created. And so I'm confident uh, uh, that we have a healthy culture here at Grace Marietta. I'm confident in the, in the things that we've built. I, I feel ready. Buddy Hoffman used to always say, you, you don't leave until things are good. And I think things are really good right now. I think now is the time for me to step away because we have leaders ready to step in. We have a culture that we've created. We've built all of these amazing things. Uh, and then the, the last thing about vision and values is, is they're guiding principles when the next step is unclear. So when we don't know where to go, we return to these. When we feel stuck, we come back to these. When we have a tough decision, we lean on these. When we're tired or exhausted or worn out, we return to our values and vision. Our vision is a picture of who we want to become. And our value is the map that gets us there. So our vision is this is who we want to become. It's the picture. It's the, it's the coordinates on the map. And our values are the directions. It's the ways of how to get there. W-A-Z-E. Okay? It's like you plug this in, right? It's the ways of how to get there. It's, it's giving me where to go. So vision is where we're going. And our values are how we get there. So our vision at Grace Marietta is this. We want to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. And we're very intentional about every single word in there. And, and, and ultimately, this is all about the fact that we believe that the church is an equipping place. 
This is the great, this is the thing that you need to know about Grace Marietta. We believe that our job is to equip the saints to go and reach the world. That is our job. It's to equip the people of God to go. And so we want to awaken, which, which is like, we want to, we want to understand and, and clearly identify who we are, what we're called to do, and how we reach the world. I would love it if everybody in our community could tell me, this is the who that God has called me to, and this is the where I'm going to reach those people. We want to awaken each other, and we believe that that happens when we're in community with one another, and we're calling out the best in one another. We're seeing each other. We know one another. We're able to encourage each other into where to go and what to do, and we want to live our kingdom dreams. We don't just want to name them. We don't just want to say, this is what I want to do, right? We want to live it. It's not aspirational. We want to walk in it in a world that's fast asleep, and I think there's no better way to describe Cobb County than fast asleep. Everybody's moving fast. Everybody's running from place to place. Everybody's driving, fighting traffic to get downtown. Everybody's busy. Everybody's in a hurry. But are we really alive? Are we really living into the things that God has called us to? Are we really walking in the ways that he has invited us to to, to live? And so we want activated and released, fully functioning disciples of Jesus. and, And that means that we want to equip every single follower of Jesus to go and reach the people in the room. So that makes what we do as a church a little different than what some other churches do. Our goal is not to fill this room. Our goal is to fill the world, right? And so our vision is not, we got to get to three services as fast as we possibly can and get as many people in here and start giving away Toyotas so that we can fill the room. We don't, our goal is not, we got to get those laser lights fired up and that smoke machine. Uh, I, you know, I I don't know how I would do with the smoke, Angie. Like I might start coughing. Like our goal is not all of those kinds of things. Our goal is to just do church in a way where we are faithful to who God is where we're listening to his voice every single week and discerning, and where we're asking you questions about you going out and reaching the world. Uh, My friend Dave Rhodes, uh, who is one of the pastors at Grace Snellville, always talks about this, and and it's a little weird kind of statement, but I I think it matters. He says, we're not trying to get the crowd, we're trying to get the cloud, right? Uh, and, And what he's saying when he says that is, if you think about every single person in this room has a network of relationships that is way larger than any individual, right? So uh, most statistics would tell us that about each person has a network of relationships that is around 100 to 120 people, right? That's a, it's around 100 to 120 people. So if, if our church has 300 people show up on Sunday, our goal could be to try and reach those 300. That's typically around the number that we're at on a Sunday morning. We're going to try and reach those 300. My vision, and I think the faithful vision of what God's people should be doing, is we're not just trying to reach the 300 that are here. We're trying to reach the 36,000 that are represented by your 120s. Does that make sense? So we're trying, there's a huge difference between 300 and 36,000, right? If I want the good news of the gospel to go out, I want it to go to as many people as possible. And that means I am not a good enough preacher to get 36,000 people here on a Sunday morning. We don't have room for that, right? We don't have, we, we, I, I guess we could 
really fill up the balcony a little bit. But 36,000, that's not possible. And so what we want to do is we want to lean into our relationships and figure out how do we equip the people of God to go and reach their relationships. So I'm going to have Aiden come up. Uh, Aiden is one of my favorite guys. Aiden is one of our residents here. Will you grab that for him? Uh, and, uh, and he's doing an amazing, amazing job. Uh, Aiden is super, super fun. For those of you who don't know that he's super, super fun. He is. Uh, and, and I want to just give you an example of kind of what this looks like for Aiden's life. And then I want you to think through your life as well. Because each of us have this cloud of relationships. So as I'm saying this, you may say, like, I don't have people. Uh, but I, I want to kind of show that you do. So Aiden, tell me about your family. Like, just your immediate family that's around you. Tell me a little bit about them. Uh, yeah, so... Um, there's my immediate family, my mom, my dad, um, my little Scooting brother, myself. Everett, and my little sister, Alexandra, who we call Cookie. Okay, and where are they at? They're in Boise, Idaho. Okay, and do you have family in Pittsburgh still? I have family in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, which is a few hours from, from Pittsburgh, um, and then in San Diego. Okay. So all over. So all of us have family that we've got brothers and sisters, moms and dads. We've got cousins. We've got aunts and uncles. Some of us have weird aunts and uncles and weird cousins, right? But we've all got this network of family that we're called to bless and serve. Uh, tell me about some of your best friends. Yeah. Um, besides me. Right. Like besides me. So, yeah, I was going to excuse yeah. you for... Yeah. yeah, just for everybody. It's assumed. Yes. Um, so some of my best friends um, say... Uh, Daniel Sierra, David Cheney, uh, my buddy uh, Kyle Kakina, who you guys don't know. Um, yeah, and you know the first two are here in Marietta. Um, and then uh, Kyle is my friend from high school. He's living in Washington. Okay. You're leaving somebody out there. I just, can we throw her in there? Yes, Alicia is also my best friend. I tell her that all the time, <laughs> all right, so okay. she knows. I'm just helping you out, Aiden, just making, just, just helping you. you out with that. What would I do without uh, I know, I, I'm here. Uh, tell me about your hobbies. What are the things you love to do? Um, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy listening to music. I enjoy um, playing fantasy games and board games like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> Here we are. We're going to connect on that. All three of you. Um, all three of you celebrate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I like to go to the gym also. Yeah, and so as you're doing those things, mm -hmm. my guess is there's a network of people that you're connecting with in each of those places. So every time you go to a concert, you're sitting around people, you're connecting with people, you're going to the concert with friends. Every time you're playing games with Nathan or whoever, you're, you've, got, you've got connections there. Uh, uh, yeah, so all of those things are happening. Um, what are some of the places that you like go to often? Like where it's like, I'm there once a week, twice a week. I'm, I'm at this place kind of often. What are some of those places? Well, during football season, because I don't want to pay for football or cable, um, I go to the wing uh, right down the street here. Yeah. And also uh, North River Tavern on my side of town because I live in Sandy Springs. And um, I go there and watch football. Great. And as you do that, you're getting to know the servers, probably the same people week after week, the getting to know people. other people yeah. there, yeah? Cheering for the Steelers, which is unfortunate. Well, not as unfortunate as the Bengals. It's true. It is true. 
It is true. And that's been true throughout our entire history as a franchise. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Uh, what about work? Tell me, because you, you have two jobs. One is with your best friend, and yes. the other is some other. Tell us about, like, relationships that you have with your work and those kinds of things. Uh, yeah, so um, with work, uh, my relationships are here on, for one of my jobs. Um, and then on the uh, carpet cleaning side um, in my business, a lot, I don't have any employees working for me right now, so it's really just me, but I do have a lot of uh, repeat customers who have been good to me throughout the years that I am in constant contact with. Yeah. Um, so there's Miss Tanya and uh, Tara and, um, yeah, a couple other folks who I stay in contact yep. with. Yep, and um, my guess is every time you do that, you're getting to interact with people, you're getting to spend time with oh, people, yeah. you're getting to be in their homes and getting to connect with them. Yeah, yeah. Also, if you're looking for a carpet cleaner, Aiden's the best, and everybody in the church should use him um, because he's amazing. Uh, that wasn't part of this uh, kind of thing. Uh, but I also do upholstery. <laughs> <laughs> at, at a reasonable rate. Well done. Well done. Well done. Uh, I, like, as I start thinking about, like, my connection, so I play pickleball. I've got people that I play pickleball with. Um, my daughter is on a basketball team right now, and so I sit and watch a basketball game with the same people week after week. There are all of these people in this cloud of relationships that I connect with, and sometimes I'm just not intentional about it in any way. So I, I didn't prepare you for this, but like, what, what are intentional ways that you kind of you're so good at connecting, Aiden, and you're so good at building relationships? Everybody who knows Aiden loves Aiden. And so, like, what are, you, what are you thinking intentionally when you're building relationships and connecting with people? How do you move from, like, I'm just sitting at my daughter's game yelling at the refs, which might be somebody else, not me. But, like, what, how do you move from that to, like, I'm seeing the people around me. I'm recognizing that God is present and at work. I'm, I'm entering into relationship with those folks. Yeah. Um, I don't really see... The end goal, I just start with the people. I That's think. good. Um, you know, when I come in contact with people, I try to, um, whether they, it starts off on the wrong foot and they rub me the wrong way, or it's a really wonderful experience, um, I try to just look for God in it. Um, and I try to just be present um, in the moment with that person um, because I know that. There's so much that I have the ability to empathize um, with them in. And so it really just starts with, I think, hearing what's going on with someone. Yes, good. And being there for being curious, being right? Curious. I'm just going to be curious. I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to genuinely try and connect. And I love what Aiden said, if you notice that. It's not a, I'm trying to get them to do something. It's that I'm genuinely trying to build relationships, right? I'm, I'm just trying to connect with people. Uh, and then we'll let God do whatever God's going to do. But I'm not trying to, you know, manipulate people into the kingdom. I'm, your, your first move is not, hey, come to my church, right? It's building a relationship and connecting and going from there. Give it up for Aiden. You're awesome, buddy. Take that with you. And... Uh, I expect at least three jobs for Aiden after the service. At least three, all right? So let me know, because if you don't get three, I will, I'll bring it back up to the pulpit next week, and we'll talk about it next week. Uh, I'm leaving. I can do whatever I want now. Let's just, just go. Uh, so, so 
I, I wanted to do that because I, I, sometimes it's, it's like, it's easy for us to look around and say, I, I don't have any relationships or I don't have any connections, or I don't have the, uh, I don't know everybody. Uh, I'm an introvert. How many introverts in the room? Yeah, like I don't even want to raise my hand when he just told me to do that, right? I, I, I don't have these kinds of relationships. And, and I want you to know that all of you have a relational network that you're connected with. And the vision of the people of God is this multipliable work. So, so in the New Testament, it was called households. Right, so what would happen is uh, a Roman centurion would come to know Jesus, and then suddenly his household would come to know Jesus. And when it said household, it didn't like mean just his, his kids and his, his wife. It meant uh, a, a, the people that he worked with came to know Jesus. It meant the people that reported to him came to know Jesus. It meant the people that worked in his home came to know Jesus. It meant that the whole relational network suddenly came to know Jesus. And in the New Testament, there's this picture of the gospel going from house to house to house, which is still the vision of God today. The gospel moves from person to place. I really believe this. We baptized so many kids this year, and we baptized so many young people, and I'm so excited to see the cloud that comes out of that, right? It's great to baptize an adult, right? It's great to baptize somebody late in their life. Those kids have their entire life, right? Some of those kids are 10 years old. They're going to live another 70, 80 years. They're going to live forever. They're going to live for a long time. And in that time, they're going to have so many opportunities to spread the word and to spread the gospel. Think about this alone. The kids that we baptized this year who came to know Jesus for the first time are going to marry somebody who knows Jesus, and they're going to have children who know Jesus, who are going to raise children who know Jesus, who are going to raise children who know Jesus. Sometimes we get so caught up in the right now that we forget the joy of multi-generational faithfulness. Right? There is this thing that happens when we live into the calling that God has for us. So I want to walk through our values, and I don't have a lot of time to do it, so I'm going to walk through all of them really quickly, and then I want to spend just a few minutes on one of these. So the first value is to hear the whisper. It's 1 Kings 19. We want to actively co-discern the voice of God. Uh, we're going to be talking about each of these every week for the next five weeks. But if we're going to say that listening and obeying is what matters, then we need to learn how to listen to God. And the way that we listen to God is we have both the, the, the logos, the written word of God, and the rima, the, whis the whispered word of God. And we believe that listening to God is best discerned in community. And so it's not one person who hears from God and brings it to the community and says, I heard from God, this is what we're all supposed to do. It's all of us together listening and discerning together. It's us saying to one another, Angie, I think this is what God's saying to me, but I'm not sure, I could be getting this wrong, or my motives could be mixed in this, or unpure in this, or I could be... I could be hearing something because of the tacos I ate last night, and it's not really Jesus. Like, help me discern what is God really saying here? Does this sound like God? Is this the character of God? Does this align with Scripture? Does this align with who God is and who God wants me to be? And so we want to hear the whisper. The second one is we want to soak the altar. That's what we're going to be talking about today. First Kings chapter 18, and it's living obediently and in radical dependence on a holy God. We want to live obedience. See, we don't just want to listen, we want to obey. 
And so when God speaks, we want to know the voice of our shepherd, and we want to respond to that voice with radical obedience and radical dependence on him. Third is we want to wreck the roof, which means we want to collectively reimagine what the church should be. Uh, I, I, um, a few years back, I was praying through kind of, all right, Lord, what are the principles that I need to live into? What are the things that you've called me to do? So me as a unique individual, what are my kind of core values? Uh, and, and, and one of the things that I, I, I pulled out of that, and I just heard this from the Lord and kind of co-discerned it with some other people, but it was, uh, I am not called to arrogantly deconstruct. I'm called to beautifully reimagine. And I think right now in our culture, especially if you're on social media, you will see that there are a lot of people who are arrogantly deconstructing what God has said, what his word says, what he teaches, how we're called to live, how the church should function, all of those kinds of things. And it's just like we're just throwing rocks at each other. We do this politically. We do this spiritually, we do this theologically, we do this in so many different ways. And so what we hope to do is to have a beautiful reimagination of what the church could be. And so collectively, we want to reimagine, we want to wreck the roof to get people to Jesus. I I, I want to wreck the roof to get people in the doors. Next is that we want to pass the cloak, 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings 2. We want to entrust ownership and believe in those who are next, which is the next generation. We believe in the next generation. We want to pass the cloak of discipleship to the next generation. We want to invest in them. We want to know that we are one generation away from faithfulness or falling. And we want to invest in the next generation knowing that that multi-generational faithfulness matters. And lastly, we want to do it together. John 17, 20 through 23. We want to demonstrate the love of God by embracing our diversity in unity. We believe that our diversity in this room is a strength and not a weakness. That the fact that we have different backgrounds is a strength and not a weakness. The fact that we come from different cultures is a strength and not a weakness. The fact that we voted for different people is a strength and not a weakness. The fact that we have different opinions about things is a strength and not a weakness. And healthy communities build themselves around unity, but that unity is not built on total agreement around everything. I don't even agree with my wife on everything. In fact, I don't agree with her on a lot of things, right? But she's my favorite, right? Like our relationships aren't always built on agreeing around everything. It's, it's, it's learning from one another. It's setting a table. It's dialogue. It's discussion. It's, it's, it's being humble enough to admit, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe this person has something to teach me. Maybe I shouldn't just throw accusations at everybody who voted for this person or everybody who believes this thing or everybody said this thing. Maybe I should have a humble orthodoxy that allows me to ask questions and to listen and discern and to walk with people. Maybe that's what we should do, and maybe we should do that all together. So today, I want to talk briefly about soaking the altar, 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, and and we want to talk about living obediently and in radical dependence on God. And so here's what I want you to notice in this quick passage that we're going to walk through. I want you to notice, one, Elijah's obedience, and I want you to notice, secondly, his dependence on God. And I want you to ask God these questions today. 
Where are you inviting me to be obedient where it's hard? And where are you inviting me into radical dependence on you? Where are you inviting me to obey when it's hard? You guys all know that there's areas of our life right now where it's like, I need to obey this. I don't want to obey this. It's a habit. It's a hard thing. It's going to take effort. It's going to take work for me to obey. And we all know there's also times when we're called to radically depend on God when we kind of have to depend on him. Right? So what does radical dependence look like and what does obedience look like? Uh, here, here's the story of what's happening here. Ahab and Jezebel have driven out all of God's people. The prophets have left. They've started worshiping Baal and Asherah, uh, which are other gods. All of God's prophets have left. There has been no rain in the land for three years, uh, which is it's an agricultural culture. Right? So it's an agrarian culture, so everything is based on the crops and the land at that time. There was no Cheetos. Right? They were, there was no processed food. It was whatever came from the land. And so if there is no rain, there is no food. Right? So everyone is suffering. Uh, Elijah is hanging out, and suddenly Elijah gets a word from the Lord to go because he's going to send rain. So here's what happens. Verse 17, it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, the troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. It's 850 prophets versus Elijah, the one. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel to gather the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said this, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long are you going to be disobedient, is what Elijah said. How long are you going to continue to walk in disobedience? Uh, uh, If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if it's Baal, then follow him. Stop limping around between two opinions. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, okay, I, even I, am the only one left. I'm a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So give two bowls to each of us. Let us each choose one bowl to ourselves. Let's cut it in pieces. Let's lay it on the wood. Let's put no fire in it. And let's prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood. Put no fire in it. And you call the name on your God. I'll call the name of my God. And whoever answers with fire, that one is God. And all the people said, it is well spoken. A good old God showdown was what it was. Now, I don't recommend you doing this with your neighbors. Just throwing that out there. In fact, Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? But in this circumstance, Elijah was given a directive from God to go and do this. And so he's walking in obedience in this, and he's suggesting these kinds of things. Um, Verse 18, it says this, After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Or I'm sorry, this is verse 1. This is where God told him. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab. I'm going to send the rain. And, and, and here's what I want you to recognize. We often love obedience that costs us nothing. And it's obedience that costs us something that actually bears fruit. Think about your life. Think about the times when it was really hard to follow God and you were faithful 
and you chose the hard thing, you chose the right thing, you chose the difficult path and not the easy path, you chose the road less traveled, and when you did that, you started to see the fruit and the faithfulness of God in a way that you hadn't seen before. We obey oftentimes when it's easy and when it doesn't require risk. Uh, This is my life right now, guys. I I 100% believe that it's time for me to step away from being your pastor. I believe that God has told me that. I wish God would tell me how I'm going to get paid. I wish he would tell me what job was next. And honestly, this is what I thought. I thought, okay, I'm going to announce this December 12th. And suddenly, the floodgates of finances and resources, the ships from Tarshish are going to come, right? All of God's resources are going to be, the cattle on a thousand hills will come to me. Uh, We did a campaign for my nonprofit. We didn't even get close to reaching our goal at the end of the year. Like, it just hasn't happened. And I'm sitting here every day saying, God... It's getting, getting kind of close to March 1st. Could we, could we do something? Could we, could we get something moving here? Could we start seeing some resources? Could we start seeing a plan? Could we start seeing a picture of what's next? And it's not happening. Now, this is what I'm not going to do. I'm just telling you all right now. I'm not going to go to the board next week and be like, hey, I need my job back. I believe that God has spoken. I believe that he's trustworthy. We just sang two songs about it. I've witnessed it. I wish he would do it on my time, and I wish he would do it in a way that's a little easier for me, but I know that he's faithful, and I know that he's good, and I know that he keeps his promise, and I know that he equips the people that he's called, and I know that he's inviting me into a new season that's going to be difficult and is going to require obedience and is going to require radical dependence in a way that I haven't depended on him over the last seven years, and I'm trusting that he's good. So Elijah shows up and he lets the prophets of Baal go first. 850 of them, if you bring the Asherah guys in also. All of them dance around. They're cutting themselves. They're shouting. They're yelling. And I like Elijah. Elijah's talking trash. Elijah is mocking them. Elijah's like, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Elijah actually said that. Maybe he's taking a dump. Elijah, that's in the Bible. Right? Maybe your God is taking a dump. That's what he says. Right? There's all these things in here, and nothing happens. So then it becomes Elijah's turn. Verse 33. It says, he put the wood in order. He cut the bowl in pieces. He laid it on the wood, and he said this, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood. He said, soak the altar. They're all dancing around, and he says, let's get all the water we can, and let's dump it on the altar. Now, there's two things I want you to recognize here. One is this is radical dependence on God, right? I'm soaking. I trust that God's going to show up so much that I've burned the ships, right? I've soaked the altar. There's no other way back. I'm out here, and I'm going for it, and I'm trusting that God is going to work. The second is what's the most valuable resource right now for the people? Water. Like this would have been viewed as incredibly wasteful. This is the woman with the perfume at Jesus' feet. And the prophet said, wait a minute, that's too extravagant of a gift. That's too big of a thing. And he says, nope, do it. 
And then he says, do it a second time, verse 34. And he did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. And the time of the offering of the oblation. Now, I I looked up oblation because I did not know what that meant. It means an extravagant offering. It's an extravagant offering. And Elijah the prophet came near. He said, O God, God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God and you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering of the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. God did what he said he was going to do. Now here's some things that I want us to think about today. The first is, where is there drought in your life? Where is there a lack in your life that requires radical dependence and maybe even an extravagant offering? This is a principle that I've learned as a pastor that I think is actually true, and it's uh, it's so counterintuitive. Because when we seek first the kingdom of God, we recognize that all these things will eventually be added unto us. But when we seek the way of the world, we hang on to the things because we want the added things. And so seeking first the kingdom is so counterintuitive. This is what I've learned. Oftentimes, God invites us to invest in the very thing that we lack. And that when we're faithful with that thing, God loves faith. Something happens. There have been so many times, guys, I could tell you story after story of people in our congregation. I could tell you story after story of our church, of previous churches I've been part of. I could tell you story after story of Sarah and I's life. When we didn't have finances and we gave generously, it came back tenfold. It doesn't always happen. Now listen, I'm not telling you this is the, this is the way it always works. God is not put in a box. One plus one doesn't always equal two. But I think there are moments that when we invest in the thing, when you don't have, your, have time and you start sacrificing your time to God, sometimes fruit starts to happen. When you feel like your schedule is so full and there's no way for you to spend time with him and you start spending time with him and you're sacrificing something to spend time with him, there's fruit in that. Or you, 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 you start serving someone else when you don't have the time to serve them and there's a blessing that comes from that. I, I've seen this so many times. I've seen the person who wants more than anything to be married break up with the person that's wrong for them just to find the person that's right for them. They had to give up the thing that they wanted in order to find the thing that God wanted for for them. I've seen that stuff happen over and over and over again. And so what is the extravagant offering that God's inviting you to? What does it look like for you to live with radical dependence on him? Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. I wish that was worded differently. For him who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And so we trust him. We, we live out our faith. We, 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 we lay down what we have to say, I'm putting all of my faith in God. And if this doesn't work out, all my eggs are in this basket. I'm all in. I pushed all the chips to the center. I'm trusting him. And I would suggest that as Christians, we don't do that enough. We put half the chips in. We put a few eggs in the basket. I don't know what that analogy even, I don't know, I'm not a big egg in basket guy. Number two, where is God inviting you to obey and that obedience will actually cost you something? Is there an area of your life right now 
where you know that God is asking you to obey and you don't want to do it because you know it will cost you something? And what would it look like for you today to say, okay, Lord, I know what you want me to do. I've been pretending like I can't hear you. I've been pretending like there's a reason or an excuse why I can't obey. And today I'm choosing to obey. And the last question is, what are you going to do this week in your life to embrace the value of soaking the altar? This week, what does it look like for you to take the water and dump it on the altar and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to radically obey. I'm going to 100% trust that you're good and that you're working. And I'm going to put my faith in you and trust that you're good. We're going to move into a time of communion, and as we do, the band is going to come, and as they come, uh, I, I want you to know that the communion stations are available all around the room in the back and to the side, and communion is a chance for us just to reflect on those questions and to remember who Christ was and what Christ sacrificed for us, that Christ held nothing back. He radically gave himself he radically gave everything, and he radically obeyed God to the point of death, even death on a cross. And out of that came his resurrection. It's in the blood, it's in the broken body that resurrection comes. And sometimes we want resurrection without a death. And Jesus is always inviting us to die to ourselves. Paul says, I am given over to death over and over again so that others might live. This is the path of followers of Jesus. We self-sacrifice. We give ourselves as a living sacrifice to follow him, and we trust that he's good and that he's working. And we trust that when we step out in faith, that when we pour the altar full of water, as inconceivable as it possibly is, that God works. And so where is he inviting you to trust him? Maybe just ask him that question. Maybe you don't even know how to ask God that question today. But just take some time. Just quiet your heart. Just whisper it out there to the world and see what God gives you back. Father, we thank you that you're living and active and moving, that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, that you're, that you're good and that you're here with us, that you're a good father who wants to give us good gifts, that you're faithful, that you're true, that you keep your promises. We thank you for who you are, and because of who you are, we trust you, because we've witnessed it, because we've seen your faithfulness, because we've watched you again and again and again be faithful, and so we want to trust you again. We want to lay down the things that we desire on the altar, and we want to say, we give it to you, we sacrifice it to you, we ask you to bless it and to give it back, and we ask you to resurrect all things that are broken. And so by the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus, I pray that there are testimonies that come out of our church this year of resurrections because of radical obedience and because of radical dependence on you. Teach us to walk to the hard places, to the difficult spaces to follow you. Teach us to do hard things in our faithfulness and show us who you are in that process so that all may know that you are God, just like Elijah said. It's in Jesus' name we pray.